Luke chapter 8. And just an FYI, we're also going to be in Psalm 27 and also Habakkuk. Psalm 27 and Habakkuk, but we're going to be starting out here in Luke 8. And let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer here before we get started. Uh, Father God, good to be here. We ask for your blessing just upon the day and your blessing upon the message. Be with all the classrooms in the back, all the uh, Christmas program preparation. And just for those that couldn't be here today, we pray you'd bless them as well too. And as always, Lord, your spirit teach. Just help us to listen. Your name. Amen. Luke 8. Now we've done a study similar to this before because these three stories follow each other in the gospel message accounts a lot. What you're going to see here, very simply put, is Jesus having power over everything. In verses 23 through 25, Jesus has power over creation and nature. In verses 26 through 39, Jesus has power over the spiritual realm, over demons. And in verses 40 through 56, Jesus has power over life and death. Now, we're not going to have time to get through all of those today because we don't want to cover everything and water it down and not be able to cover the points. But the point of today, very simply put, is Christ has power. He has power over nature, creation. He has power over the spiritual realm. He has power over life and death. So the application point here is pretty simple. If Jesus has that type of power over all these things, then what are we concerned about? What are we worried about? If he can calm the sea in verses 22 through 25, he can calm the problems in your life. If he can cast out the demons of 26 through 39, he can cast out whatever problems are in your life. And throughout the rest of the chapter, if he can raise the dead, he can take care of whatever you're facing. And that gives us peace and comfort in the middle of the storm. He shows his power, and then now we get a chance to believe that. Now, before we get into the actual message, though, can you turn to Psalm 27, please? Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is a great chapter dealing with fear and worry and anxiety. I tell you, there's a lot of tough situations going on out here at church right now. There's a lot of hurting people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it's really easy to allow that fear, that worry, and that anxiety to get the best of you. Let's see what it says here in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light. Excuse me, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Just stop there for a second. You're the type of person where fear and worry and anxiety get the best of you. You need to memorize Psalm 27.1. You write it down. You stick it on your fridge. You put it in your car. Look at those phrases again. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? See, when we believe that Jesus has power over nature and creation and the spiritual realm, when he has power over life and death, what do we have to be afraid of? Look at the rest of this psalm. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise up against me, and this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. From the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Jump ahead to verses 13 and 14. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Boy, what a powerful chapter. What do we have to be afraid of? What do we have to be concerned about? The Lord is with us. Look at verse 14 one more time. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. If fear, worry, anxiety, stress is overtaking you, this chapter is for you. This lesson is for you to remind you God is there in the midst of the storm. What do we have to be afraid of? One of the first verses we taught the boys was Matthew 10, 31, which is a simple little verse that just says, Jesus said, don't be afraid. And so anytime something pops up, we always say, what's Matthew 10, 31 say? Jesus said, don't be afraid. 
Layden, who's going to be three here in just about a month or so, he has a tendency at night to think that, as he says, there are scary monsters in his room. Okay, so we go in there. We say, Layden, what does Matthew 10, 31 say? Jesus said, don't be afraid. But then we build on it a little bit. I say, now listen, Jesus said, don't be afraid. God is with you wherever you're at. Bella, that's our dog. Bella's outside protecting the house. Mom and Dad, we're right across the hallway. And I said, you sleep with your three older brothers. We call them the buddies. So the buddies are with you. So I said, Jesus said, don't be afraid. God is with you. Bella's outside. Mom and Dad's across the hallway, and the buddies are with you. We ingrain that into them not to be afraid because God's there. The problem is now when you go up and ask Layden, what does Matthew 10.31 say? He says this. Matthew 10.31, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Bella's outside. Mom and Dad's across the hallway, and the buddies are with you. He's adding to Scripture, but we can take care of that later. But he's got the point down, God is with you. And that's something we try to ingrain into them. Now, here's the problem. I hope for us as adults that you don't go home at night and you can't sleep because there's scary monsters in your room. That's a two-year-old problem. Problem is now you're 22, 32, 42, 52, 62, what have you. You don't have scary monsters in your room. Now you've got stressful days at work. Now you've got finances that are a problem. Now you've got relationship problems. You wish you could go back to having scary monsters in you. But the point still is the same. Jesus said, don't be afraid. It's still the same concept. No matter what fear you're facing, it's still the same concept. God said, don't be afraid. So with that being said, let's jump now to look at our first example here. Now, before we get into Jesus calming the wind and waves, we have to back up to verse 19. Look at verse 19 of Luke 8. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. See, these promises of don't be afraid, don't let fear or worry or anxiety control you, these are only promises given to believers. If you're not a believer and you're not saved, you really should be afraid and worried. See, these promises are only given to us as believers, to God's brothers and sisters. See, if you look at verses 19 through 21, Jesus almost comes across as sounding a little rude here. Hey, your mother and brothers want to talk to you. Mother and brothers? Oh, my mother and brothers. My mother and brothers are these people around me. Hear the word of God and do it. Now, we know from looking at the Bible, eventually his mothers and bro- excuse me, mother and brothers realize who Jesus was, and they come to know him as Savior. But there seems to be a time here in the Gospels where his mother and brother is just, that's just, maybe that's just Jesus. We don't know. So when they came to want to talk to him, they didn't get priority. Priority was given to Jesus' spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, Thanksgiving is just a couple days away. Like it or not, you're going to go see a whole lot of family on Thursday. Some of that family you want to go see, you're looking forward to. Some of that family you don't want to go see, but you still have to. See, we have fleshly brothers and sisters and parents and aunts and uncles. Now, that's sometimes good. That's sometimes not good. Jesus is saying here in verse 21, the spiritual relationship trumps physical relationship. I'm closer to some brothers and sisters in the Lord spiritually than I am to my own flesh and blood because there's a closeness, there's a oneness through God, through the Holy Spirit there. And see, and as a child of God, where I can claim Jesus as my brother, all those verses now apply to me of don't be afraid. That God's going to work for the good. He's going to take care of me. See, if I'm not his child, it doesn't do any good because I'm not his child. Those promises don't affect me. You know, if you've got kids at home, you can go teach them Matthew 10, 31. Jesus said, don't be afraid. But you can't do the rest of what I tell my kids because Bella's not outside their house protecting. And I'm not sleeping across the hallway. And they're not sleeping in the same room as my other boys. I'm taking care of my family. See, spiritually speaking, God takes care of 
his family. It's not that he's being rude or mean. He wants everybody to be a part of his family. But if somebody's not saved and not walking with the Lord, man, I can't give you those promises of don't be afraid. I can't give you those promises that it's all going to work out because you're not part of the spiritual family. And that's what this verse is teaching us. What do we want to do? Verse 21, we want to hear the word of God and then do the word of God. Not only hear it, but do it as well. Now, first example here of Jesus having power over the elements, creation, nature, verse 22. Now, it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as, soon as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he rose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Now, have we ever been in this position? We're going through a storm in life, and not just a storm. Look at verse 23. The boat is filling with water, and they're in danger. They're in jeopardy. So your world is falling apart. Your little boat in life is filling with water. You're sinking. You cry out to the Lord for help, and guess what Jesus is doing? He's sleeping. Now, one of the other gospel accounts just doesn't say he's sleeping. The Bible says he actually has a pillow. Now, now think of this picture. The boat is filling with water. The disciples are freaking out, and there's the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, sound asleep on a pillow. Have you not ever felt that way in life? Your world is falling apart and you are praying, you are reading, you are worshiping, you're going to church, you're doing everything right and the only thing you hear back from the Lord is him snoring and it starts to frustrate you. See, that's exactly what they're going through. Look, verse 24, they came to him, woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. God, don't you see my life is falling apart? Don't you see this, Lord? And, and I'm praying and doing everything I'm supposed to do and you're doing nothing. That happens. Let's talk about this for a second. Go to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of those books that we don't go to a lot, which is kind of a shame. It's, it's a powerful book. It's only three chapters long, but it's a powerful book when it comes to this. We're going to start in Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk, please. The reason I like Habakkuk so much is because this guy is honest. This guy asks questions and says things that we would think in our heart, but we would never express open. See, Habakkuk was a prophet at the end of the time of Judah. Judah as a nation was kind of in its death throes, if you will, and the nation was completely falling apart. So Habakkuk looked out at this and saw his people being killed. He saw the Babylonians coming. He saw all this, and he very simply says, God, what are you doing? Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Let's stop for a second look at verse 2. Have we not felt that way? Lord, I cry out to you, and you don't listen. I cry out to you violence, danger, and you do not save me. Verse 3, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Have we not ever been in that position? Lord, I'm crying out to you, and you don't hear me. I'm crying out, save me, and you don't respond. The only thing I see in my life is my world falling apart. We all have moments like that. Now, sometimes we don't admit it, but we all have moments like that. Now, the problem is, we just stop right there. Lord, why? 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 Well, see, we've got to go to Habakkuk 2 now. Look at Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will stand my watch... And set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. See, verse 1 of Habakkuk 2, Habakkuk stops and says, okay, now I'm going to be quiet 
and listen to what he has to say. Now I'm going to be quiet and wait, look at the end of verse 2 again, excuse me, verse 1, and be corrected. See, a lot of times we don't go to chapter 2 in our lives, we just stay at chapter 1. Lord, why? I pray, nothing happens. I seek the Lord, nothing happens. Why, why, why? Well, you've got to go to chapter 2. See, in chapter 2, Habakkuk says, okay, Lord, I'm done whining, I'm done complaining, I'm done moaning about my life. Now I'm going to sit back and see what your answer is to this. Look at verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. God says, I'm going to give you your answer right now. As I give you this answer, now you'll be able to see what I have in store for your life. Now, note the answer here. Make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Make it big so people can see it. When we first started doing VBSs out here years ago, we always put these uh, pieces of plywood out by the road. They had all the information about VBSs. And boy, they were nice. They were beautiful pictures. They had all the information on there of everything you can need to know about VBS. So we would paint this beautiful piece of plywood with the VBS sign. We'd step back four or five feet, we look at it and say, that's a good sign. We go stick it out there, and guess what happens? Everybody's driving on 109 going at the minimum probably 60 mile an hour. They drive by, and what do they see? A colorful blur. They don't see anything. So now if you look at our VBS signs we make now, they're simple, they're straightforward, and they basically say VBS and the dates. That's the main information. Because you have to paint that sign so that way people can read it as they drive by at 60 mile an hour. See, this is what God is saying here in verse 2. When I give you the answer, write it on a tablet and make it big so that way you can read it and understand it. Once again, the problem is some of us don't get out of chapter 1. Lord, why? Well, in chapter 2, God says, I'll answer. Then we get to chapter 3 and we see Habakkuk's response. Jump ahead to chapter 3, please. Verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the field yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Look at verse 17 again. God comes right out and says, I should say Habakkuk come out and says, even though nothing happens, even though there's no fruit on the tree, even though nothing changes, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk says, even though I don't see the changes that I'm looking for, I don't see the fruit that I want, I still will trust God. See, we're the people in the boat. Our boat's filling up with water. We're in danger. We're crying out to the Lord, and we think God's sleeping and not hearing and listening. But that's not true. He's there. See, why was Jesus sleeping? Because he had nothing to be afraid of. See, he, he wasn't worried. Why am I sound asleep at 3 a.m.? Because I'm not worried about scary monsters in my bed. See, Jesus says, I'm not worried about this storm. We can sleep through it. Jesus was going to the cross to die in the sins for the world. He wasn't going to drown in the Sea of Galilee. But the problem is, the disciples needed that reassurance. So jump back now if you look to Luke 8. Boats filling with water, they're in jeopardy. Verse 24, Master, Master, we're perishing. He rises, rebukes the wind, and it stops. Look at the wording there in verse 24. The water is raging and then calm. I mean, can you find better antonyms? Raging, calm, just like that. That's the power of what God does. And so what happens here, the Bible actually says in verse 24, in a different gospel account, he just simply gets up and says, peace be still. See, when you're going through the storms of life, you just need Jesus to show up and say, peace be still. He's still with you. You have to believe that no matter what you're facing in life, whatever storm it is, God is with you. See, some of you here today, you're, you're in a storm. Your boat's filling with water. You're in jeopardy. The, the storm is raging. You need to be told, peace be still. God is with you. Don't worry. Some of you are in a really good season of life, and you don't have a storm going on right now. I enjoy the calm sea because there's going to be a storm coming. That's the world we live in. I was on the way to church here this morning. 
just thoroughly enjoying the day. It was a beautiful fall morning. I love the crisp, cold fall mornings. Get up, I'm enjoying it, and I'm, I'm on the way out here to church, and about halfway to church, out of the blue, I'm just enjoying the day, it kind of hits me, it's going to snow. I, I've lived in northwest Ohio many, many, many years. It's going to snow. And guess what? The roads are going to be bad. We're going to have Sunday mornings where we're going to get up at 6.30 in the morning and say, are we going to have church? I don't know. Can we try to make it? I don't know. We're going to have Wednesday nights where we got to decide. There's going to be days where it's going to be snowing and yucky. And it's like, okay, we need to go someplace. Should we go or not? It's not safe. And then so my beautiful day of just enjoying it now turned into, oh boy, out of the blue. Now, I know it's going to storm. I know it is. And guess what happens after it storms December, January, and February? March comes back. And guess what? All that stuff's gone. See, here's the thing about life. There's going to be storms in your life. Right now you're in the middle of a storm. It's raging. Your boat's filling with water. It's not going to be that way forever. Now in the middle of the storm, you think it's going to be that way forever. Right now it's hard for us to imagine 90 degrees in the shade. But it's coming back. And right now if you're in calm, I'm not trying to deflate your day. Enjoy the calm because there's a storm coming. <laughs> not trying to be mean. It just is. But the point is, whether you're in the storm or in the calmness, Guess who's in the boat with you? Jesus. It doesn't matter whether it's storming or calm. He is still in the boat with you. And that's why he says, don't be afraid. See, he says in verse 25, where's your faith? He goes, trust me. Trust me that I will get you through this. Don't let fear rule you. Let faith rule you. Think back to everything God has done. Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90. They had a baby. David killed Goliath. Jonah and the great fish. Jesus rose from the dead. He just calmed a storm. If, if Jesus can do all those things, if God can do all those things, he's going to get you through whatever you're facing right now. So have faith, not fear. Because fear basically says, I don't trust God. No, he's in the boat with you, whether it's storming or calm. He's with you. Jesus has power over that. Let's go to the next one. Now, this is one that we did not too long ago, but we did it out of Mark. So this is the Luke's version of it as we continue our study here through Luke. Verse 26 says, Then they sailed in the country of the Gardeans, which is opposite Galilee. Now when he stepped out on the land, he met a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it often seized him, and was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds, and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountains, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. And the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Now we covered the idea of the spiritual realm and demons a few chapters ago in our study through Luke. So it's not that I want to skip over that, but we already covered that not too long ago. Let's pick out some of the other highlights here of what we're talking about. First off, they're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Now let's look at a couple of things here. Look at this guy. He lives in the tombs, verse 27, and he's naked. Now, what can we pick from this? This is just my personal opinions. I think there's some symbolism here. Take it or leave it. He lives in the tombs. To me, that shows spiritual death. He lived in a place of death, spiritual death. And this man did not know Jesus, so therefore, he was in spiritual death. He had no clothes. This shows that he has been stripped of everything in life. He has nothing. Do you not know somebody like that? They live in a spiritual tomb. Maybe you live with somebody like that. Maybe you work with somebody like that. They're just in spiritual death. They don't have Christ. They're stripped of everything they have. They have nothing in life because they don't have Jesus. Now, these demonic forces, verse 28, 
They know their end. Jesus created these guys. Like I, I told you many times before, when I grew up as a kid in Sunday school, I always had this envisionment of Jesus and Satan being almost equals and battling and duking it out. And Jesus eventually overcomes them in the end. Boy, when I got saved and really started studying the Bible, Jesus created all this. There's, there's, there's no comparison here. So these guys see Christ, verse 28, know who he is, and start begging him. In fact, in one other gospel, Mark 5, it says they stopped and worshipped Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? So, as we move on here, the man, verse 29, where is he at? He's been driven into chains. The chains show what? I think it's symbolic of the sin we have in our life that chains us down, holds us down. And he's driven into the wilderness, verse 29. See, you're in the wilderness. You have nothing. See, this is what your life without Christ is like. You're in spiritual death, the tombs. You've been stripped of everything. You're held down by sin, by chains. And you're out in the wilderness with nothing. It's overwhelming. In fact, it's so overwhelming, verse 30. What is your name? Legion. Now, we don't know how many demons there were, but we do know from another gospel account that there was over 2,000 pigs that were destroyed. That's a lot. This is what life without Christ is like. Now, some of you can remember back to before you got saved, and you remember that life. Some of you know somebody right now that is in that life. Some of you may be here this morning that's not saved, and you don't even realize how bad your life is, because you don't think it's that bad. But there's this oppression that is on us. So what happens here? Jesus allows them to go into the swine, and in verses 32 and 33, it says he permitted them, and they ran, and they jumped off, they were all destroyed. So now here's the problem. We look at verses 32 and 33, and we get upset at God. God, why did you destroy this? Why did you allow this to be destroyed? What Jesus permitted them to do was to go in the swine. Verse 33, Satan did all this destroying. John 10.10 10 makes it clear. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. See, when I look at the world, and I look at all these horrible situations that happen in the world, I don't see God being blamed for this, I see a ruler of this world, Satan, that is bent on destruction. And this verse proves it to me. He wants to just destroy. Just utterly, completely destroy. Now, on a lighter note, and you've heard us mention this before, these guys are on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This is still predominantly Jewish area, and there's no reason to believe why these people here weren't Jews. There's no reason to believe why they wouldn't be. Which then leads us to the question, why were good Jewish boys raising pigs? You know, if you know anything about the Bible, God does not like bacon. And so what you have here is these guys are raising pigs. This is not cool. This is not kosher. So yes, Jesus takes care of the demons, but did Jesus also clean up a little contraband swine operation going on here at the same time? I don't know. But it sure seems like he killed two birds with one stone. Now, here's the situation, though, that we have to use this. Yes, we're making a joke, but look what happens here. Verse 34. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city and the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, verse 35, came to Jesus, found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also who had seen it told them by what means he had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding regions of the Gardenians asked him to depart from them. They were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. They wanted Jesus out of there. See, now, now here, this is where I think it gets interesting. A couple points on this. First off, they're more scared of the man healed from demons than when he was full of demons. Now, isn't that fascinating? They're more scared of him being healed. When he was naked, chained in the cemetery, oh yeah, we know him. That's crazy Al. We just let him go. You know, don't worry about him. Okay, now he's sitting here, clothed in his right mind. Okay, now that's spooky. Have you not noticed that in your own spiritual walk? Maybe some of you that had a very sordid past, 
when you got saved, your friends were really bothered to be around you. Now, when you were out doing all type of stupid, dumb, sinful, disgusting, illegal things, it was all cool. But as soon as you know Jesus and things start to change, they're like looking at you saying, what happened to you? They don't want to be around you. You make them uncomfortable. See, what happened is when this guy was demon-possessed, naked, chained up, they could handle that. Now, in his right mind, that made them uncomfortable. Was it conviction? Was their own spiritual life being revealed? I don't know. See, here's another thing. Jesus came and cleaned up this little illegal swine operation going on. Now, you would think everybody would stop and say, Wow, Lord, thank you for taking care of this sinful thing that was in our lives that was causing problems. But you know what? I don't do that. I got some illegal swine operations going on in my life right now. When Jesus comes and takes care of it, I don't sit there and say, Lord, thank you. I moan and whine and complain. Lord, why did you take that away from me? See, this is why Christianity is no fun. We do that. Instead of people rejoicing over the demon-possessed man healed, instead of people rejoicing over a sinful swine operation being destroyed, they're afraid and scared. And then guess what happens? In verse 37, they ask Jesus to leave. Some people would rather have Jesus out of their lives than Jesus in their lives. See, when Jesus is in their lives, it makes them uncomfortable because they realize there's things that need to be changed. So it's easier to have God out of their lives. That's why we hide from God. That's why we hide from church. That's why we hide from the things of the Lord. We don't want to do it. We've had situations out here before where people are making really good progress in the Lord. I mean, really moving forward and growing in the Lord. And it's exciting to see what's happening. So then we go up to them. We pat them on the back spiritually. We, we meet with them. We offer opportunities for them to serve. And guess what happens? They disappear. I, I remember one time there was a guy coming that was coming out of a really bad past. And he was really making wonderful steps forward. And it was just really neat to see what God was doing. And so I wrote him a letter. And I just said, I just want to let you know, it is so neat to see what God is doing in your life and how you're moving forward. And the Lord is really going to use this as a light and a witness to your family. He never came back. He never came back. There's been times out here where people have started coming to church and, and we'll get together with them. And we'll say something to the fact of it's really neat to have you. It's really neat to see you. And we just want to let you know a little bit more about the church and see if there's an opportunity for a place for you to serve. And after a meeting, guess what? They never come back. I had a situation a while ago, and Rich and I joke about this a lot, where uh, Rich and Betsy took a, somebody out for a meal. They'd been coming to the church for a while. And after Rich and Betsy took them out, met with him, never came back to church. And I asked Rich, I said, what did you say to him? I mean, so now Richard doesn't get to take anybody out. Actually, rephrase. If Richard takes you out, that's our subtle way of saying, thanks, thanks for coming, you know, and... But, you know, I always used to sit there and struggle saying, Lord, why is it when there's progress, all of a sudden the progress just deflates? I, my personal opinion is I think there's some people that reach a point in their spiritual relationship with Christ and it's too much. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying it's a bad thing. Well, this Jesus thing is getting pretty, pretty serious. Listen, I, I'm cool with the once a month Sunday. I'm cool with every now and then saying, can you pray for me? And I'm cool with every now and then maybe I'll get in the Word a little bit. But this whole like everyday thing, and this whole get involved, eternal mindset, leading people to Christ, raising hands in worship. Uh -uh. And I think what happens is, when you really are forced to say, is Jesus real and relevant in my life, or is it just something I'm doing It makes you uncomfortable? These people met Jesus. They met him in a personal way, seeing what he did to the demon-possessed man, seeing what he did with the swine. They just saw this. And they decided they didn't want it. So not just didn't want it, verse 75, excuse me, verse 37, can you please leave? It's not that we just don't want it, 
Will you please leave? That's what happens sometimes spiritually. Lord, just just leave for a while. I'm going to go back to my sinful closet of darkness. You're shining way too much light on my life right now. Boy, Lord, help us not to do that. On a good note here, let's end on a good note, verse 38. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he may be with them, might be with them, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. He went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Now verse 38 seems a little rude. One group's asking Jesus to leave, and the other guy's saying, Can I go with you? Not just saying, Can I go with you? Verse 38, begging him, Let me go with you. Jesus says in verse 39, no, your ministry, your mission field is right here. This is just what I've noticed, take it or leave it. When somebody first gets saved, and they're usually really excited about the Lord, and, and they first are walking with the Lord, you ask them, what do you want to do? They always want to go to Africa. I'm going to go to Africa. Be a missionary. Okay, that's great. Or no, 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 I'm not going to go. I'm going to go to this Bible institution, and, and I'm going to do this. Okay, I mean, that's, that's good too. And they're always excited about doing something on the far reaches of the world for the Lord. Do you ever realize what Jesus wants you to do? Verse 39. If you just get saved, go back to your own house. Be a light and a witness to your friends and family. See, they saw the old you, and now they see the new you, and that's going to impact more people than you can ever imagine. I mean, imagine this guy's testimony. Okay, we're going to send you down to Jerusalem. So he goes down to Jerusalem. I want to let you know about me. I used to be chained and naked in a cemetery. And then I met Jesus. Okay, well, that's pretty cool. No. When he stays in this area, he's the guy that walks through town and everybody whispers saying, you know who that is, don't you? And that's the guy. That's the guy. That used to, that's crazy Al. And that's the guy. He used to be in the cemetery. If anybody named Al here, I apologize. But, you know, that's the guy in the cemetery. His witness is more powerful being around the people that saw what he was like. And so often when we get saved, we want to leave everybody. Man, I come from a family of non-believers. I just want to get away from them and really serve the Lord. Well, maybe you should really serve the Lord and your family of non-believers. As you make changes in your walk in relationship with Christ, they will see the new you versus the old you, and that will impact them. The greatest mission field and ministry you will ever have is right in your own house and in your backyard. That is the greatest place you can serve the Lord and be a witness. Now, I am thankful for people that feel called to go to other places of the world and tell people about Jesus. Amen for the mission field. But for the vast majority of us, we're not called to do that. We're called to probably have a 9-to-5 job Monday through Friday, just be a light and a witness in all that we do and all that we say. And that's not downplaying that. That's your mission field. Get out there, shine for the Lord. And whatever you face in life, no fear. Christ has power over the elements, over the storms of life. Christ has power over the spiritual realm. And next week, Christ has power over life and death. Go back to Psalm 27. There is nothing to be afraid of, for God is there with you. And all that you say and all that you do. Marvin Callie, if you guys want to come forward here for the final song.